All right, Luke chapter 23 tonight, Luke chapter 23, and we have been working our way through several different Bible characters. Last week, we looked at an unnamed character, the thankful leper. We will look at another unnamed character tonight, but we know this individual as the thief on the cross, the thief on the cross. Of course, with Easter coming up on Sunday, and we are looking forward to uh, this Easter Sunday, as I know we look forward to every Sunday as Resurrection Sunday, as the day that we recognize that Christ rose from the grave, but of course we make a special uh, emphasis uh, for Easter, and uh, I know we're not a liturgical church, and we don't uh, put the, what is it, the ash on our foreheads, um, we, don't, we don't do uh, all those uh, different liturgies, um, but of course we do make uh, a special recognition of Easter Sunday and of course Good Friday coming up uh, this Friday. So the thief on the cross, of course, is an important character at the crucifixion, and as we reflect upon the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, I thought it would be uh, appropriate to talk about the thief on the cross. And so we will begin by looking at his dying condition, his dying condition. Let's look at Luke chapter 23, and then we will drop all the way down uh, to verse 39. And one of the male factors which were hanged railed on him, saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man hath done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. So we see this thief in his dying condition. He's described in a couple of different places, but specifically, I believe, in Matthew 27 and verse 44. Or actually, I'm sorry, it is here in verse 39 of Luke 23. He's also uh, described in Matthew 27 and verse 44 as a thief. And here in Luke 23, as a male factor. A male factor is, again, it's an older English word, but it simply means criminal or evildoer. And so he is obviously being crucified as a criminal, as an evildoer, in quite contrast to Jesus, dying as the Holy Son of God, innocent, undefiled. So we see that obvious contrast, but in Matthew 27 and verse 44, we know specifically that his crime is that of thievery. Now, I did not go into the Roman law, and I did not study out exactly what type of theft resulted in capital punishment, but apparently whatever kind of thievery he was involved in, it was of the nature that the Romans felt like the only due punishment was that of death. And again, it's interesting that there are two thieves that are crucified with Jesus, but wasn't Barabbas a murderer and a robber? 
Isn't it interesting that Barabbas was released and he was a robber? In addition, he was a murderer, and yet there are two thieves, nothing mentioned of them being murderers, and they're crucified along with, with Jesus. Just a, an interesting thought, interesting fact. But he is described in his dying condition as a male factor, a criminal, an evildoer, and as a thief. And obviously, then, he is condemned to die. This particular thievery was of the nature, or who knows, with the emperors of that day and the governors of that day, it could have been something small. It could have been uh, something that was maybe no big deal to the average common Roman uh, person, but maybe it was in the line of uh, government or involved something with a uh, ruling class individual, somebody in uh, a place of leadership. So the person that they stole from, the property that was stolen, again, we don't know all of the details, but it was in the Roman world, which again, the Roman world was not known for its due process. There was no Bill of Rights. There was not the habeas corpus and we, we know that our justice system has its, its, its problems, and uh, it's been all over the news, and I'm not even going to go there, but it's all over the news. Uh, we know the justice system has its issues, and uh, we know that there are, are, are problems, and there's injustice in our culture, but we still have a lot better justice system than what went on in the Roman world. And so whatever this or these two thieves had done in their crime, the Romans determined that they were to die for their crimes, and they were crucified on either side of Jesus. So they were condemned to die. So here they are, their dying condition, two thieves. Crucifixion was a very cruel, torturous way of dying. Many times, death was due to asphyxiation. I don't know if they were beaten ahead of time. We know that Jesus was beaten with a cat of nine tails, 39 lashes. Many, many, many people did not even survive the cat of nine tails. 39 lashes was one short of the 40, which, according to Jewish law, from what I understand, 40 was illegal, so they beat Jesus with 39, with the cat of nine tails, 39 times, ripping off his flesh. A lot of people never survived even that. But of course, Christ did, and then he was nailed to the cross. We don't know what the thieves were, what was done to them, how long they had been in prison. Uh, we don't know, again, the nature exactly of their crime, but they were described as thieves. They were criminals. They were hanging on the cross and they were dying. They knew there was only a, a certain amount of time because they would literally, in order to be able to survive, they would have to, with as much strength as they had, they would have to push themselves up. In the case of Christ, they had his, his probably his ankles, his feet, in the ankle and feet area, nailed to the cross. And so on the cross, a person who was being crucified would have to raise themselves up, pull themselves up by hand, push themselves up by their feet in order to be able to get their lungs and their diaphragm in a place where they could take a breath. 
as they are dying, they are unable to get their lungs up high enough, their diaphragm high enough, where they could take a gulp of air. It's a very cruel way of dying, and it's a public death. Shame on these individuals for breaking the Roman law. Now, I'm not saying that we ought to go back to crucifixion in our culture, but I think that we could probably use a little bit more public shaming of criminal activity, and maybe we would detour some of these crimes. I just sometimes feel like the deterrence factor just isn't there like it used to be. I was talking to a good friend of mine the other day, and he said that he was probably the last kid in the 1980s at his public school that ever got spanked by the principal. And he said he was... He was uh, shooting spitwads in class, and he said he got sent to the principal's office with his buddy, and the principal got out the board with the holes in it and spanked him. He said he was probably one of the last ones in the 80s <laughs> at that public school ever to get spanked by the principal. But, you know, we've lost a lot of discipline in our homes, in our schools, in our culture, and I, I just wonder sometimes if some of the lack of shame lack of punishment uh, is part of the reason we don't have a lower crime rate. It seemed like if we uh, had more severity and, and more justice in uh, some of these uh, criminal activities, then, then we would have less crime. And I know that's, that's in the news as well. But they are dying. They are there on the cross, and they are dying. Now, that is his dying condition, but we also see his mocking attitude. Now, Matthew 27 and verse 44, Matthew 27 and verse 44 indicates that there was this mocking by both thieves. Matthew 27 and verse 44, the thieves also which were crucified with him cast the same in his teeth. That's an older uh, phrase. We don't use cast the same in his teeth. We don't use that phrase anymore, but it just is saying that they also treated him, they cast the same insults at him in a very personal way. The phrase in his teeth is going to imply that it is a personal insult. And who was doing those, who was casting those insults? It was the chief priests that were mocking him. We know that there were other religious rulers. We understand that the soldiers also were mocking Jesus. So you have the chief priests, you have the religious leaders, you have the soldiers. They're all mocking him. They're mocking him with personal insults, some of which is described as he called himself uh, God. Why does he not take himself down from the cross? There's horrible things being said about our Savior. And then who joins in? The thieves. Matthew 27 and verse 44. It's plural. The thieves also, which were crucified with him, cast the same in his teeth. They were throwing these, hurling these same insults. Matthew, or excuse me, Mark 15 and verse 32 indicates the same. But then we come down to Luke 23, and there seems to be a change in, well, and obviously there's a change in one thief, in his attitude. He goes from what apparently was mocking Jesus along with the other thief 
to Luke 23 in verse 39, where over apparently time, as they are dying along with Jesus, as they are seeing the way he is treated and knowing enough about Jesus and understanding that he is innocent and they are not, the, the, the one thief, the thief that we know as the thief on the cross, he comes under such conviction that by verse 40 we read, But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds, but this man hath done nothing amiss. So under conviction, this man, this other thief, changes his attitude toward Jesus, changes his mind toward Christ, toward his own sinful condition. And so that brings us to his repentant heart. We read here down in verse 41, And we indeed justly, for we received the due reward of our deeds, but this man had done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. We see that this thief who trusts Christ as his Savior that day, he began by rebuking the other thief. He is in his dying breaths, he is in his dying minutes, hours, and he comes under conviction. He sees the mocking, the reviling. He has enough knowledge and enough sense to realize Jesus is an innocent man. Maybe they knew about Jesus. Maybe they had some prior knowledge of him. We're not sure. But the one thief continued in his reviling and his mocking along with the religious leaders, the soldiers, and those who went by. And we, we read that there were even those who passed by who wagged their, their heads at him and, and mocking him. And this one thief speaks up in boldness and says to the other thief, basically, to stop, to knock it off. Don't you fear God? We are the ones who are dying justly. He is dying unjustly. So we see the conviction. We see the change of attitude. And he even mentions the fear of God. Don't you fear God? Isn't that interesting that he mentions the fear of God? There's a little bit of a theology lesson from a thief dying on the cross. In his final words, from what we understand, there were no other words recorded that he said. And we have a little bit of a theology lesson here. He speaks about the fear of God. Isn't that something that the unsaved need to recognize, need to realize, is they are before a holy and just God, and they need to come to Him as sinners who need salvation who need to be rescued from their sin and the only one who can do that is Christ himself and this mention of the fear of God is a reminder to us of how important it is in the message of the gospel that we get the gospel right that we reveal who Jesus is the Jesus of the Bible the God of the Bible that we're not just, the, the, the thief is not adding Jesus to his life. He's not even asking for Jesus to take him off the cross. 
Isn't that an interesting thought? He is in a dire condition, dying condition. In his request isn't, Jesus, get me off of this cross. His request isn't, go after the Roman authorities. They are committing an injustice. None of that. He, he doesn't try to plead for his innocency in front, or his innocence in front of the authorities. He asks for Jesus to remember him in his kingdom. Why? Because it started with a fear of God. This goes back to Matthew 5 and the poor in spirit and they that mourn. Here we see a man already understanding his condition, his plight before a holy God. And he is mourning over his sin. He is fearing God and tells his counterpart, this other thief, to knock it off. Don't you fear God? Don't you realize who you are talking to? Don't you realize who this is? He even makes reference in this response. He says, Dost thou, dost not thou fear God? And then in verse 42, And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me. He is equating God and Jesus. He even recognizes the deity of Christ. He recognizes that God and Christ are one and the same. I know, again, we're talking about the Trinity here, and three persons, one essence, one God, three persons. But even in these few words, in these few verses, we see the thief fearing God, making reference to the fear of God, and equating that with Jesus. Remember me, Jesus, Lord, when you enter into your kingdom. And then, what else does he mention there? I just said it. He makes reference of the kingdom. Lord, Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. What what does this speak of? He understood that Christ is the king. There was the mocking, the, the, the placard above Christ, the sign there that mocked him, king of the Jews. But there was a thief next to him who truly recognized him as the one true king. He recognized an afterlife. He recognized that there is life after death, and the only way of having life after death is through whom? Through Jesus Christ. He speaks of the kingdom. He speaks of God. He speaks of fearing God. He equates God with Jesus, Lord. A great theology lesson from a thief who, again, we don't know his prior background. We don't know his education or lack thereof. We don't know how much association he had with Jesus or how much knowledge he had of Jesus. Was he there in the background as Jesus was being falsely tried in those kangaroo courts? Was he there when Jesus was struck with the cat of nine tails? We don't know what he observed. We don't know as Jesus was being taken down the Via Dolorosa to the cross and Simon of Cyrene helped carry the cross for Jesus. We don't know if the thieves, how much they were there and watching that. We're not sure. But that thief came to grips with his sinful condition. He recognized 
God. He recognized Christ as God. He recognized the kingdom, and he saw that Jesus was the only way to enter that kingdom. He saw that Christ was the only way to heaven, to paradise. He called on Christ in saving faith. Jesus, and then what does he say? Verse 42, he says, Lord, Lord, Adonai. Here again, we see a submission. We see him humbling himself, calling Jesus as Lord, equating him with God and recognizing who he was before God, before Christ, before God's son. And he said, Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. Now, without getting too carried away here with some of these uh, different points that people make in regards to salvation, the thief on the cross, but we can't help but think of these when we consider the thief on the cross. First of all, did he have to get baptized in order to go to heaven, in order to enter into Christ's kingdom, in order to enter into paradise? There's no baptism. That's obvious. Did uh, he uh, do enough good works in that however many minutes or hours? Did he get extra credit, bonus points? You know how it is at school. You, you don't do anything the whole semester, and then you ask the teacher for extra credit the last minute, bail me out. If it was a works righteousness system, you would think that he would be saying something about his good works or he'd be making an appeal. But, but, but Jesus, I, I only stole a little bit. It wasn't as bad as so-and-so. He didn't even say, hey, I'm not as bad as that guy over there. He's the real thief. I'm the better thief. I deserve. There was no argument with Jesus about how he deserved heaven. There was no answer from Christ about, well, I'll consider you after you spend a few uh, centuries in purgatory. Well, hopefully the prayers of the saints and enough sacraments and enough uh, rosaries and uh, pixie dust or whatever they call it and holy water and, you know, being slapped with a wet hyssop or whatever, or wet noodle or whatever they use. None of that. No catechism classes. And I'm not saying, I'm not saying that the thief didn't need to be instructed in the ways of the Lord had he lived beyond the cross, of course. But in that context, taking the immediate need, Jesus did not answer with, well, I hope you can do enough in the little bit of time that you have left to show me, prove to me that you deserve heaven, or I hope you can work it all out in purgatory. You're just going to have to be there a little bit longer than everybody else. The thief isn't arguing for some extra credit, you know, for uh, some good things that he said at the last minute. He wasn't comparing himself with the other thief. He recognized his helpless condition as a sinner. And he said, remember me, Lord. And can I make another point here without getting too, too controversial when I say this? He didn't pray the sinner's prayer. I, again, I'm not saying that the sinner's prayer is wrong. There, there, there's a uh, a way in which a person can sincerely, genuinely pray the sinner's prayer with a sincere heart, contrite before God in repentance, and be saved. But how many people have come forward 
And I've known people who have come forward multiple times. Sometimes even the preacher prays the prayer over them. I was listening to a lady who used to be in a Christian rock band, and she said that they had concerts. You know how these rock concerts work, not that I've ever been to one, but these rock concerts, they have often three or four preliminary bands, and then they have the band that everybody really wants to, to listen to. And she was in one of the preliminary bands, I guess. And she said that she was playing in this band, and they would have their big concerts, and they'd have the big concert at the end with whoever the, the keynote band was. And then somebody would come out, give a little salvation message, and then say, if you want to get saved, come forward. And then the preacher would pray over them. And she later got out of that. She got saved. And she was talking about how hundreds of people through the years, thousands, probably came forward at those rock concerts, Christian rock concerts, got a little self-help message Believe in Jesus, just love Jesus. If you come forward, then I'll pray over you or pray this prayer with me. And she said there were probably hundreds, if not thousands, through the years who left those concerts self-deceived. And she was so burdened by that. Because even she, as a Christian rock, whatever she was, instrument, whatever she did in that, con- in that rock band, even she was deceived. She was unsaved. She was caught up in progressive Christianity and later she got saved and came to true saving faith and she was burdened and she's still to this day burdened that people genuinely know the the truth and the true gospel and are genuinely saved through repentance and faith in Christ and Christ alone and and, and so again not getting too carried away with that but what was his prayer his prayer was remember Lord me when thou comest into thy kingdom. But he indicated in just those few verses that he was a sinner, that Christ was the only way of his salvation, and he humbled himself in fear of God, showed even in a small way works after salvation, okay? In a very small way, he showed an evidence of his faith in a, very, in a very small way, okay, by rebuking the other thief, if I can even add that in a little bit, there was a small measure of evidence, uh, without trying to read too much into the text, when he rebuked the other thief, there was a faith as he was trusting Christ and as he was calling out to the Lord, remember me, there was already an evidence, in a sense, like Zacchaeus who came out of his house and said, I'm going to repay fourfold. So we see a lot going on here, all in these just few verses that indicate that this thief genuinely came to Christ in repentance and saving faith. And what did Jesus say today? Today. Sounds a lot like 2 Corinthians 5. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. In paradise, you can go into Strong's Concordance and you can look it up. And basically, it is going to be interpreted as the place of happiness, heaven, the place of eternal peace. And I guess it's even translated at least one other place as Eden, the Garden of Eden, the place of perfection uh, before sin. And that's where Jesus said he would be. Can you imagine? We're going to see him one day. 
I don't know what we're going to be able to ask him. I don't know exactly what questions you might have in mind to ask the thief. But can you imagine the story he'll be able to tell? And how he, as a thief in his dying hour, as a sinner, he will also enjoy the treasures of heaven. He may not have a lot of treasures laid up. There may not be a big stack, may not be crowns galore, but he gets heaven, and deservedly so, because the same grace that saved the thief on the cross is the same grace that saves you and me. And we can't say, well, why does that thief get to die or get saved at, the, at his dying hour and I have to live for Christ for 30 years? Shame on us if we think that way. Shame on us if we say, well, how come I couldn't live for myself and do all my sin and then die at the last, or get saved at the last minute before I die? That is an absolute shameful way to think about that. Shame on me if I ever think, oh, I wish... I had gotten saved later in life. I don't think there's anybody who ever, who is truly saved later in life, says, oh, I wish I would have waited later. I wish that I, you know, had just lived as an unsaved person a little longer. No. I meet people who've been, who got saved later in life, and they're all saying, oh, I wish I had gotten saved when I was younger. And I don't ever want to be guilty of being ashamed of getting saved when I was six years old, seven years old. And having all these years to serve the Lord, shame on me if I ever regret that. And by the grace of God, I never have. I'm extremely thankful that I grew up in a Christian home and was given the gospel from the time that I could breathe outside my mother's womb. I'm thankful for that. And that I was brought to church from the time I was a baby. And that the gospel was taught in my home. And we had family devotions and I was given the gospel as a young child. And I'm thankful I got saved at an early age. And shame on me if I don't then live all my days for the Lord. But we will have the joy and the privilege of seeing this thief in heaven one day, saved by the same grace that saved us. Praise God for that. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the grace of God that saved this poor lost sinner. Lord, who's just like us and us like him. Lord, we may not have gone to a prison and been crucified for crimes against humanity but Lord our sins nailed you to the cross it was for our sins that your blood was shed and we thank you Lord for shedding your blood for us and paying the penalty for our sins thank you Lord for saving us may we never take that for granted may we never be ashamed of our salvation of our testimony ever be ashamed of the Lord Jesus Christ Lord Help us not to be ashamed of your ways, but Lord, help us to live in boldness, in courage, in faithfulness, in love for you as living sacrifices, knowing, Lord, that we love you because you first loved us. We pray that, Lord, our hearts will be receptive, that, Lord, as we reflect even this weekend upon the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that, Lord, we will be humbled once again by your great salvation, and we thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for being here. I hope you have a great rest of the week. We look forward to seeing you 8 o'clock on Sunday morning. And uh, if you have not signed the uh, sign-up sheet back there for the breakfast,